So, we are taking time to study the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5. And today, we are going to be talking about what Jesus had to say about loving our enemies. Very fun. (laughs) When I got this topic to preach on, I was like, (laughs) so many things to say. And also, how do you say them? (laughs) So, this was a really wonderful challenge to prepare for and really touched my heart in a lot of different ways. So, yeah, I really want to talk about this topic with a lot of gentleness and kindness as well this morning. Um, It's a very sensitive topic for a lot of people because a lot of us have relational trauma and, I mean, including myself, whether it be through church, whether it be through relationships with other people, that's something that we all carry. And I think sometimes there's this push to reconcile with people who have hurt us or abused us. So I want to talk about this very gently. I want to talk about what loving our enemies is not, as well as what it is this morning. Um, So all of us know that in our hearts, like we know that the true enemies of the world include things like oppression, exclusion, injustice, racism, violence, anything that belittles creation and treats others as less than not giving them the opportunity to thrive in a world that was created for them to enjoy and live. But it is people (laughs) who are playing into these things that perpetuate these things, whether it be for power, for status, their own well-being, out of their brokenness. So, so many times our enemies end up being people around us and the structures that are in place that do harm to us and to the most vulnerable. So we dedicate our lives to bringing the kingdom of God into these narratives, knowing that God is gracious and longs to see relationships restored, healthy and whole, and that being God's relationship with us and also our relationships with each other. In a perfect world, in the perfect world that God created, there wouldn't be broken relationships. We'd all be able to live together in unity and experience just the fullness of what relationships have to offer. But sadly, we're broken, (laughs) and that's not always the narrative here. And people that we love hurt us, and people that we don't love hurt us. (laughs) So this morning we're going to look at scripture, and then I have some like biblical context for this, and I also have a couple personal stories, and then some prayer at the end. So, Father, we thank you for this morning. God, we thank you that you are with us that you are kind to us, that you are compassionate, and that you have so much love and kindness for all of creation, for us and for our enemies. So we thank you for being present to us, and we ask for more of that. Amen. Our scripture today comes from Matthew 5, 43 through 48. It's entitled, Love for Enemies. You have heard that it was said, love your enemies and hate your... Oh, sorry. (laughs) Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. 
So as I prepared for today, I used the Bible Project podcast, Love Your Enemies. If anyone's interested in going to listen to it after this, it's really beautiful. It's amazing. It holds a lot of beautiful wisdom in the passage and on the character of God as well. God's highest kingdom value is loving, healthy relationships, and God wants to expose and move towards anything that harms that possibility. As we see the life and character of Jesus, we see that he calls us to be a people that yields to his work of continual transformation in us. He came to redefine humanity, to show us a different way to live. In these verses, Jesus is pushing back on the idea of hating our enemies. And he's, in all of the Sermon on the Mount, he's referencing other scriptures and other commandments that have been made and back to the law. So in this, he's referencing a verse in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. And that says, You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So we never see hating our enemies as a biblical writing or as like just a thing that was a thing. <laughs> it ended up because people made it a thing because they kept asking the question, who is my neighbor? And making excuses for who wasn't their neighbor. Um, so this was the thing that was culturally taught in the time, was hating your enemies. Just like things, it's culturally taught just like things such as racism, partiality to the wealthy and disregard to the poor, et cetera, et cetera. We see that today. We see that in structures that are in place in the world and that continue to pe perpetuate that. And Jesus specifically tells us to not show partiality towards anyone, just how God shows no partiality, which can also be found in Leviticus 19, verse 15. Do not pervert justice, do not show partiality to the poor or favoritism to the great, but judge your neighbor fairly. This teaching is a part of Jesus' teaching on the Sermon on the Mount, where he's not intending to abolish the laws, which is what Kim was talking about last year or last week. He wasn't here to abolish these laws that were previously taught, but to fulfill them and then show us how to truly live them out and redefine them as they had gotten twisted throughout the years because of our human brokenness. We like, we like to do that, you know, sadly. <laughs> Um, so I wanted to take an opportunity to share a personal story, I'm going to sit down, to share a personal story about loving your enemies. Um, just also to show that, like, we're all trying to figure this out. <laughs> like, none of us know really how to do this perfectly, including us as pastors. <laughs> like, we're all learning how to do this. Um, and also, I think what I'm learning as I get older, I don't know, I feel like I never really saw myself having enemies when I was younger. And I realized part of that was because I am a huge people pleaser <laughs> and I don't like conflict. And so I think the healthier I have gotten over the years and the more boundaries that I put in place, the more enemies that I have gained. And I don't really want to call them enemies. It's just really hard to be a human and to have boundaries. And, you know, I mean, you guys know. <laughs> you all do it. You get it. Um, so, yeah, I wanted to share a personal story about something that's, like, still continuing to happen in our life. Can you guys see me? I'm really short. Okay. There we go. So, Luis and I have a person in our life who is a family friend of a very long time 
who over the years became someone obsessed with wealth and manipulated anyone in their path for their own financial gain. And this isn't someone in our community. It's not somebody that any of you guys know. They're very far removed from this community. Um, and even though they've brought a lot of pain into our life, I also want to honor them in the way that I speak about them. Um, so yeah, I'm going to try to honor them the best that I can while also sharing the pain that we've experienced through this. So this man is dearly loved by God and made in the image of God and has chosen to become very manipulative, driven by greed and love of money. This man was a basically a family friend. He became a family friend for who he was. We loved him. We included him in all of our holidays. He was like basically like a grandpa in our family. We loved him and still love him. Um, he was also vital in raising funds for our family's church in Mexico and just really a catalyst in the movement of what was going on there. And so we're so grateful for everything that he has brought to our family and brought to the ministry, um, which included church buildings and clinics. And he took, again, he was just dearly beloved by us. We loved him. And again, we still do. So sadly, this man's actions formed him into someone who hurt other people to gain power and status. Um, it's a classic, like, actions speak louder than words situation. Um, and our actions truly do form us into people, whether that is more into goodness or more into being more harmful to people. That's the actions that we choose to take do that. So he, again, he turned into a person who hurt people to gain power and status and started taking advantage of the donors and recipients of the funds from donations in the name of God claiming to be a prophet. Um, so then there was a situation that specifically happened last year when our brother-in-law passed. He still owed money on a car loan to this man and this man always said that if there was a death in the family that their debt would be forgiven. And a few weeks after our brother-in-law's passing, this man approached my sister-in-law, who is now a widow, and asked her when she planned to pay off the car loan. His actions proved that he was not a man of his word and that his love for money outweighed the love and care for our family and his willingness to take advantage of a widow in her most vulnerable state. Our hearts were very broken and we were all very angry. And I don't say these things to shame this person or make you guys angry towards this person. <laughs> um, but as an example in our life that we're currently working through with someone who very much feels like an enemy to us. We've struggled and still struggle with feelings of grief, anger, resentment, and disgust with this person. And fighting the innate desire to tell somebody that they're worthless because of the harm that they've done. I'm sure you guys had situations in your lives where somebody has hurt you and the innate desire to like retaliate and the innate desire to prove wrong is really strong. It's really hard, especially as kingdom people who are justice oriented. It's hard to not want to fight back. So we've been spending time grieving what has happened and feeling sadness for the reality that this person lives in every day knowing the people that they've hurt and cut out of their lives. They live in the reality of all the love that they've lost in their life because of their actions. 
And what I've learned is that loving this person is to not allow them to perpetuate this evil towards us anymore. And that's by building boundaries for our family and in our life. And it's also when we're able to create those boundaries in these situations, it's not allowing people to gain the world and forfeit their soul by taking advantage of us and of other people. We limited their access to our life as much as possible so they don't have the opportunity to take advantage of our family anymore. So again, I just share that as like we all have situations where somebody or something feels like an enemy and that we're, we're still processing it. We're still going through it. Um, and it's really hard. <laughs> it's really hard. So I have a second story to share quickly. This story comes from Lectio 365, and it's about Corey Ten Boom. Sorry, I have to burp. <laughs> it says, I rejoice today in God's protection, joining with the ancient praise of all God's people in the psalm that Corey Ten Boom's autobiography, its name, The Hiding Place. Psalm 119, 114 through 117 says, you are my hiding place and my shield. I hope in your word. Depart from me, you evildoers, that I may keep the commandments of my God. Uphold me according to your promise that I may live, and let me not be put to shame in my hope. Hold me up that I may be safe, and have regard for your statutes continually. Here's the story. During the Second World War, the Ten Boom family built a hiding place in their home near Amsterdam behind a false wall in Corey's bedroom. Here they bravely sheltered a steady stream of resistance fighters and Jews. Corey also joined the Dutch resistance network, smuggling Jews to safety. It is estimated that she was personally responsible for saving some 800 lives. But then on the 28th of February, 1944, the family was betrayed to the Gestapo. At 12.30 p.m., their house was raided. Corey, along with her sister Betsy and their father Casper, was arrested, but the six refugees hiding in their home at the time somehow survived. Tragically, Casper died 10 days later, and the sisters ended up at Ravensbrück concentration camp, in which 50,000 women died. It was hell on earth, but Corey and Betsy launched into a nightly prayer meeting using an old, tattered Bible they'd smuggled into the camp. She describes the scene powerfully. Like waves clustered around a blazing fire, we gathered about that Bible, holding out our hearts to its warmth and light. The blacker the night around us grew, the brighter and truer and more beautiful burned the word of God. I would look about us as Betsy read, watching the light leap from face to face, more than conquerors. It was not a wish, it was a fact, we knew it. We experienced it minute by minute, poor, hated, hungry. We are more than conquerors, not we shall be, we are. In one of their prayer meetings, the sisters read Paul's exhortation to give thanks in every circumstance and wondered how on earth to give thanks for the fleas infesting their dormitory. But then they discovered that the fleas were the reason the guards had stopped checking their dormitory, allowing them to pray and worship in peace. And so with a resilience that challenges me profoundly, these two indominant indomitable sisters even began thanking God for the fleas in their beds in a concentration camp in the Second World War. Tragically, Betsy died at Ravensbrook, but Corey, who had been spared by what appears to have been a clerical error, spent the rest of her life traveling the world proclaiming her hard-won message about forgiveness and the prevailing power of prayer. 
In recognition of her courage, she was knighted by the Queen of the Netherlands and honored by Israel as righteous among the nations, a title given to those who risk their lives to help Jews during the war. And during the war. Several years after the war, Cory ten Boom met one of her former guards. She'd been speaking at a church in Munich, Germany when he approached. This is what he said to her. How grateful I am for your message, Fraulein, he said. To think that you as to think that as you say, he has washed my sins away. Corey said his hand was thrust out to shake mine, and I, who had preached so often the need to forgive, kept my hand at my side. I breathed a silent prayer, Jesus, I cannot forgive him. Give him your forgiveness. As I took his hand, the most incredible thing happened. From my shoulder along my arm and through my hand, a current seemed to pass from me to him, while into my heart sprang a love for this stranger that almost overwhelmed me. And so I discovered that it is not on our forgiveness any more than on our goodness that the world's healing hinges, but on his. When he tells us to love our enemies, he gives along with the command, the love itself. Matthew 7, 7 through 1 says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asked for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will you give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? God, I'm deeply moved by the resilience, the forgiveness, and the obedience of Corrie ten Boom. In all I face today, its joy and its pain, help me to trust the truth of Corey's great maxim that nothing is too great for your power and nothing is too small for your love. I thought that was such a ravishing, impactful story. <laughs> I don't know if I could do it. <laughs> Just the, the love that God was able to give to her and through her and the forgiveness. So to wrap up, the call to love our enemies is not necessarily to have warm, fuzzy feelings toward them or even reconciliation with them. I think that God, if reconciliation is appropriate in the situation, that God will speak into that. And I think it's, I think it's really important to state that, that it's not our job to encourage people to reconcile with their abusers and people who have hurt them. I think that's inappropriate. If God calls you to do that, then that's one thing. And reconciliation is a beautiful thing. But forgiveness and reconciliation are different. Loving our enemies is also not enabling harmful behavior, but it's not designed for them to perish or to be without the love and forgiveness of God. It's a desire for our enemies to experience the loving kindness and generosity of the grace of God and for them to not perish without that. As hard as it may be to imagine, the person causing harm is made in God's image and beloved, and we have no authority to treat someone as unloved when Jesus treats everyone as beloved. I have no right to deny someone kindness and generosity, which God shows to all people. We are able to think and say, man, I really can't stand that person, their actions or their beliefs, etc., and they are made in God's image and are deserving of kindness and grace. When we choose to do this, we are participating in the heartbeat of God, that, the heartbeat that God has for all creation. We can trust that God is just, that God is compassionate and loves everyone infinitely. 
Real trust in God is desiring the best for even your enemies, that they would experience the grace of God, the kindness that leads towards repentance, and that God would take care of all of their needs, even when they seem undeserving. It also releases us from needing to retaliate and helps us resist the urge to harm. We know that God doesn't give us gifts according to how we behave. God cares and provides for all creation. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and unrighteous. And Jesus is our example of non-retaliation. And non-retaliation is not doing nothing. It's not doing nothing. And it's definitely not allowing people to manipulate or harm you. It's the ability to find compassion for those who harm, which sometimes feels like a really impossible act. It's having compassion on the internal reality that that person is living. That it must be miserable and lonely to, to harm, to cause harm to people. And I think about the man that I was talking about and something that he has said to our family multiple times is that nobody loves him. Because people have told him that because of the actions that he's taken. And that's so heartbreaking. We got to a point in the situation now that we've moved past some of the anger and have compassion and be like, wow, what a horrible internal reality to live in every day. And I don't have to tell them that nobody loves them. I don't have to tell them that they are worthless because of their actions because they, they know that. And that's where compassion comes into place, desiring for them to know the love and the grace that God has for them, despite the actions that they take. And that's really, really hard. And my hope in loving my enemies, especially in the situation that I shared, is this. It's Psalm 146, 8 through 10. It says, The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are weighed down. The Lord loves the godly. The Lord protects the foreigners among us. The Lord cares for the orphans and widows, but frustrates the plans of the wicked. The Lord will reign forever. And my prayer for my enemies and those I love deeply as well is found in Ephesians 3:17 through 19, which is an this is an adaptation of that. It says, I will make my home in your hearts as you trust in me. Your roots will grow down into my love and keep you strong. May you have the power to understand as my people should how wide, how long, how high, and how deep my love is. May you experience my love, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. We are going to move into communion. So I have kind of a benediction for that and a prayer. So on the night that Jesus was betrayed, a feeling that many of us are familiar with in this life, he took the bread and broke it, saying, this is my body broken for you, take and eat. He then took the wine and said, this is my blood poured out for you, take it and drink. He shared this meal with all of his disciples, and among those disciples were his betrayer, Judas. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for making your goodness and grace available to all, and that we all have access to it because you welcome the lover, the hater, the believer, the doubter, the mighty, the broken, 
the pure and profane, the selfish, the giver, the loser, the winner, the righteous, and the sinner all the same. Amen. I would love to invite the band up and you may come take communion. And if anybody needs prayer, there will be people on the sides to pray too.